WXDX-FM, Pittsburgh. It's not as much fun this week, is it? Everything was just so giddy last week related to the Pirates. And I'm not knocking it. They did something that they haven't done in a very, very long time. They got active at the trade deadline. They got aggressive. They actually sent prospects out. A good one in Austin Meadows that still might come back to, to, to haunt them. But they did, I think, unquestionably the right thing. The fact that they have lost 7 out of 11 games since the 11-game winning streak doesn't alter that for me. And that's because I look at that trade deadline and what they did a lot differently than what I think most people do. There was no all-in aspect about it. That became the narrative. That became the fun thing to say. It became the fun thing to attach to, you know, it's okay to like the Pirates again. But did they really, really go all-in in the conventional sense, in the way you think of the term? 412-333-9939 is the number to call with why you think. What was their real motivation for making those trades? Were they the right move? Particularly now when you look at the standings and see they're seven games out of first place, five and a half out of the wild card. Were they the right thing to do? What's the real gain from getting Chris Archer and Kayon Kella? I look at this Pirates team overall the same way that I have pretty much going into this season. Are they a little bit stronger with these trades? Now, sure they are. They added a reliable starting pitcher and a promising, highly promising and somewhat established back-end bullpen guy. So, of course, they're better. But I don't look at the Pirates in 2018 a whole lot differently than I did back in spring training, which is that they have some pieces – They don't have enough. They're capable of getting on a roll, as we've seen, when all of their guys start performing, especially on offense, at the same time. When that isn't happening, when that isn't happening, when it's even two or three guys who fall off, there's not really an answer for it. Part of that reason is that what we just discussed before this short break, which is that the bench is just horrific right now. Hurdle looks to his left, and he brings in Luplo, and somebody's going to go, Hurdle, terrible manager, bringing in Luplo. Luplo's batting a buck seventy. The greatest manager in human history is a terrible manager when he brings in Jordan Luplo. Or Jose Osuna, who's batting 183. Or Sean Rodriguez, who's batting 161. Everyone's a bad manager in that context. When your starters are either struggling or injured or coming off injuries, and by that I'm referring to Josh Harrison struggling, any number of guys right now, Corey Dickerson, who's coming back off of an injury and hasn't found his stride, Gregory Polanco and Marte are 0 for their past 14. What are your answers for that? You don't have any because you can't bring in someone off the bench. There's this whole thing about how Hurdle isn't playing the right guys. No, that really isn't the cause. That's a symptom. 
but it's not the cause. The cause is that either the starters are hurt or they're not performing well, or the bench is terrible. That's the real thing here. Just shaking your fist at the TV and saying, the manager is this, the manager is that. Think about it a little bit more deeply. It's always about the roster. What makes a manager look smarter or dumber, for example, than bullpen usage? Right? Jim Leland used to say that all the time. He's only as smart or as dumb as how effective his last reliever was on his last pitch. Completely right. Completely right. John in Level Green, you're on 105.9 The X. Yeah, Dave, John. Uh, a lot of people are all talking about Sean Rodriguez and uh, using him as a pitch hitter. And uh, I remember back in the day, he's um, way back with Ken Brett, Don Robinson, Rick Roden. There are a number of pitchers that they would use as pitch hitting. And right now, Musgrove's hitting better than anybody on the bench. Is uh, does that sound weird, or is that you? You wouldn't. You, but John, again, if you do that, though, I don't. I can't tell if you're being serious or not. Would you? Would you do that? Would you consider doing that? Certainly. Certainly, he's what four seventeen. But just I mean, to make a, but I know it's not. I know it's not a career lifetime average. But just, but, but mean, you'd be doing that. Attacking the ball. If you're doing that, okay. If you're the manager and you do that, first of all, you show up your front office and your management in a way that is borderline unconscionable. No, it's not borderline. It is unconscionable. Okay, you're basically challenging your bosses to fire you because you're taking a position player that they're paying that they put on your bench. And you're sitting him in favor of a starting pitcher who came from the American League. Well, why wasn't that an issue when they were really serious about winning and they had guys like Rick Roden, Don Robinson, Ken Brett pinch hitting? Uh, those guys would pinch hit. They sure weren't pinch hitting ahead of position players. I mean, I was a kid, but I, I would think I would remember if something like that. Well, I'm not. You think Rick Roden or any of these guys, Don Robinson and these guys, Jim Bibby could also hit as long as you want to drop names for pitchers who could hit because pitchers were more versatile back then than they are now. But if you think that they were sitting, you know, Al Oliver or somebody, you know, somebody who's on the bench, that just wasn't the case. Um, Look, let me ask you a question here. Hang on, because I want to get one of these Sean Rod people. How do you watch that game? And everything that went wrong in that game, and just focus on Sean Rodriguez's one at bat in the ninth inning. How does that oh, happen? No, How does not. a narrative get built up that focuses so much on one player? Well, no, I'm not. I'm not putting in that game on there. I'm just looking at that one moment. Okay, and, I see. And, that's and fair. I, 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 just, I just see that that's something in my pocket that that's been pulled a few times and hasn't uh, produced for me. I'm, I'm going to play a different. Coin but you are time. in that context. You are in that context. If you're Clint Hurdle, you are basically uh, giving the figurative finger to the front office. Oh my gosh. That's uh, what you're I, doing. I, I, wa- I want to win the game if I'm Clint Hurdle. Well, it'll be the last game you manage. So yeah, you would want to win it. I appreciate the call. Four one two three 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 nine nine three nine. This segment of the Mark Madden Show is always sponsored by Eighty Four Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. 84 lumber. The Pirates have a lot of issues. It's not one. And I say that when things are going well, too. They're not a perfectly constructed roster. They're not a completed package in the sense that a lot of these pitchers, even the ones that are doing well, are still young and are still going to run into inconsistencies. It's not 
other than in the mathematical sense, and even that's becoming a challenge, a contending team. It wasn't one last week when everyone got all fired up. Again, other than in the mathematical sense. And that's what I think has to be underscored here. Look, I'm the last guy to defend the Pirates front office, actually, really, on anything. But in this case, these trades were made not with any kind of all-in mentality of any kind. All-in means you're going in for that year. That means all the chips are in, you know, you're, everything is focused on 2018. I'll bet most people aren't even aware that Chris Archer and Kayon Kella are both Pirates property for the next four years. And th these were not rentals by any stretch of the imagination. They're going to be in Pittsburgh for a long time. They're going to be a significant, ideally, part of what the Pirates are doing going well into the future. So this wasn't a future-for-present trade in that sense. Austin Meadows could have been part of the present. But everyone bought in because all of the excitement of the trade deadline, and we're all watching TV, and it's amazing to hear the Pirates even being mentioned in the context of this, this trade race with these teams that you always hear about. So we get fired up. I, in the first hour, I compared it uh, a little bit to the, the anticipation of when everybody was waiting for the lottery ball with Sidney Crosby. It's an off-the-field kind of competition that everyone gets stoked about. It's, it's, it feels real. It feels like a big victory. And I'm sure, and I heard a lot of this from, from our readers on the site, they wanted an excuse they wanted a reason to get back in. All these people who've been claiming for all this time, I don't really, you know, I don't care about the Pirates anymore. I don't care about the Pirates. Meanwhile, anytime, whether it's on this show or on our site or anywhere, anyone brings up the Pirates, it either lights up the phone lines or social media or whatever. It's, it's latent caring. Everyone was looking for a reason to say that it's okay to care again. So they found it and they embraced it, but they ended up taking it to this extreme that this was the Pirates, they're finally spending money was my favorite. $2.9 million was all they added to the payroll. That's it. Nothing else. Let me hear your thoughts after this break on why the Pirates made these moves, what was their real motivation, and were they right to do it? 412-333-9939. And then at the bottom of the hour, we're going to be joined by the Maven, Stan Saverin. I'm Dan Kovacic filling in. For Mark Madden, you're listening to 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. You live by the ass, you die by the ass. Well, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on that subject. Wait a minute, prostitution's illegal? The X at 105.9. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. I'm Dan Kovacevic filling in for Mark Madden today on 105.9 The X. Sad news out of Chicago, Stan Makita, the Blackhawks legend, arguably, and people there will attest to this, uh, the greatest player of the Blackhawks ever had, uh, and that's saying something. He passed at 78. He'd been really, really, really sick for about four years. Died at the age of 78. The Blackhawks issued a statement. He and Bobby Hull are the two players the Blackhawks have statues of outside the United Center. There is, of course, another one of a certain basketball player on a different front to that building. Stan Makita, uh, dead at age 78. We were talking about the Pirates 
before this break. And their motivations for making these trades, which I think is really relevant in light of the fact that things have obviously not gone well. Not just, I wouldn't say since the deadline, but since the winning streak. I mean, they're, they're four and seven since winning 11 in a row. Um, they're falling out of contention. So let's talk about what it is that had them motivated in the first place to make these deals. I'll share my own thoughts. I want to hear from a couple of you first. Again, the number is 412-333-9939. Gary in Wexford, you're on 105.9 The X. Hey, Darren. First hey. off, new hockey writer's great. Oh, thanks, Gary. That's Cody Tucker. We just uh, signed, so to speak, <laughs> to DKPittsburghSports.com. Appreciate it. And uh, I think uh, these trades don't get made if there's not time left on the deals for both of them. I think it's uh, a way to placate the fan base by looking like you're trying this year, but really it's more about next year. Yeah, again, and you don't say this, it's not a bad thing. This is actually what you no, want. not at all. You know, I just, I guess the part that I've been focusing on today is to try to clear up this misperception that this was some kind of all-in move aimed at 2018. Did you happen to see the, the quotes uh, from Andrew McCutcheon in USA Today about these trades? I did, yeah. And, and, and Kutch is coming across the same way as everybody around here, which is like, where was this when I was there? Whatever. I mean, it was misguided because he, they honestly, I think they did more. They when he did, was there, yeah. I mean, they they went and they added Aramis Ramirez, and you remember Joaquin Soria and other players yeah. that they they added some Jay Happ, which a lot of people, myself included, kind of doubted at the time because he had bad numbers. He came here, he was a world beater. Right, Morneau, Bird. I mean, right. the list goes on. Yeah, they, Marlon they, they, Bird was there. Yeah, I mean, th these guys were real live players. So, a lot of this is perception. It's crazy, you know. It, it, and yeah. these guys are going to be here for four years. That's why the Pirates did it. They didn't do it to show everybody anything with payroll. They only added two point nine million. So, look, if they do something this year, great. It's probably not likely. Exactly. But. I can't say anything bad about them until I see what they do in the offseason. Well, and that's what everybody, yes, that's what everybody's going to be waiting for is to see what, what they do, especially I think as it relates to the infield and to the, to the starting position staff. I appreciate exactly. the call. Gary in Wexford, you're on 105.9 The X. Oh, I thought, I thought we were going to Gary here. The Pirates have a different set of circumstances here than the conventional all-in team. They knew that. The national media knew that when they were acting all, oh, oh, look at the Pirates doing this. Look at their record. Look at their place in the standings. How could they possibly do something like this? Well, the reason they did it wasn't for 2018. Now, if you heard or read the various quotes from Neil Huntington, Frank Coonley, and Bob Nutting, by the way, the last two of whom were all too happy to be quoted and seen after the deadline for the first time in a while. If you read those, they were all too happy to go along with this idea that they had done something that they never did before. I mean, Coonley actually said something to that effect. This was more aggressive than we've been in the past or something like that. I don't mean to paraphrase incorrectly, but it was something in that spirit. They actually like the idea that that perception went out because it makes them popular, you know, somewhat. The question is, what happens here? What happens now? 
when this fades off, which it will, this team is going to drop down a little bit out of contention. Are people still going to hold them to the level of, well, you did all this, and now you're trying to tell everyone that you know you went in all in when that was never the case? That was never the case at all. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. That's the part that bugs me is, is the part is, is, the, is the misperception aspect of it. The Pirates are what they are, and they are where they are. They know that. You know that. We know that. We knew that at the time. We knew that there wasn't going to be some snap-the-finger solution for any of this. And these trades last week for a really good starting pitcher, a reliable guy in Chris Archer, and for a reliever, a good reliever, talented reliever, in Kayon Kella are going to help the Pirates, but not just for 2018. Lance Lysowski sends word out of Denver that Josh Bell is getting some work in first base at Coors Field, fielding grounders from Joey Cora. That's good. That's a promising sign. You want more of that? Before he left, Josh Bell had told me that he expected to be back in the lineup for the Pirates as early as Wednesday night, that, of course, being tomorrow. Tyler in the car. You're on 105.9 X. IDK, big fan of the site. Love uh, hearing you on Madden as well. Thank you. Appreciate that on both counts. I just wanted to say that I think that you're right in the fact that they are making moves for next year, but I do think that a lot of this has to do with the fact that we have a TV contract coming up, and that's the way to make even more money. More dings, Bob. Well. More dings. This is the ding. You're, you're hitting. That This is what it's about. I mean, I, I think that that's that and, you know, PNC Stadium, is going, our uh, ballpark is going up for grabs as well. Yep. Coming up, so why would anyone want to put their name on something that's going to fail or has a negative perception? Yeah, I mean, that I that's – the, people talk about, well, they want to do something to get attendance up. You know what? You can get attendance up, and it really doesn't affect the bottom line that much. It just doesn't. No one wants to hear that because everybody likes to think that their one ticket – either bought or not bought, makes some huge impact on them. It doesn't, even if it's in huge bulk. Attendance is a small part of the revenue equation. But the local TV deal and the stadium naming rights are both enormous. And they're yeah, the both... Deal, I'm sorry, the TV deal itself is something that can generate what, probably more in one year than... Than the um, attendance. Yes, per year. that's true. Um, because of advertisement and, you know... Uh, national like exposure right but i do think that they will add maybe low-key infielders because of newman and kramer coming up and uh, also both doing very well in the minor leagues that could also lead to ja being trade uh at the deadline next year um same with cervelli uh, i think that those two are locked to be gone with them saying uh, addition by subtraction in using their uh, minor league depth. That's, that's what I think. I, I couldn't. This is this was the call of the show. I couldn't possibly agree with the <laughs> points that you've made. Or I don't even have a good counter for you, my man. I appreciate the call. When we come back, we're going to be joined by the Maven, Stan Saverin, at the bottom of the hour here on 105.9 The X. I'm Dan Kovacevic filling in for Mark Madden. X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark. Yeah? Hi, Mark. Big fan. It's double M. Let me hear you woo. Hi, woo. Well, then you ain't talking, bitch. DX at 105.9. Filling in for Mark Madden today, I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DKPittsburghSports.com. Joined now, as Mark always is this time of week, by the one, the only Stan Savern, sponsored by 
Shenderovich, Shenderovich and Fishman, they have got your back, not your wallet. Hi, Stan. Hey, Dan. How you doing? I don't have any complaints, Stan. A little... Well, let's get into something that's a little more serious well, first you here. Can't, you can't host a talk show if you have nothing to complain about. <laughs> you can't call one. You can't be on one. Yeah, you that, can't even listen to that one. Is, that is a fair point. Let's <laughs> let, let's 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 pick up something that, that's a, a serious matter first. Stan Makita passing uh, the, the Chicago Blackhawks. Great. Uh, it's almost unusual to to talk about or to ponder hockey greats or stars from the past because that was in an era when there was just the six teams and stars were so scarce especially in the united states but did his name still rise above in the in, in our country well i you know i think you have to be of a certain age uh, mm-hmm. I, I think um people recognize hall of famers of course and it was just pointed out to me when news of his passing came about that he scored the first hat trick ever against the penguins when they came hmm. in, into existence so there's a bit of uh, penguin trivia for you on uh, on Sid's birthday um it, it was such a different era because uh, not only were stars at a premium Dan, as you know but scoring was at a premium uh, you know, and, and frankly, we're back to that now, it would seem, uh, you know, until Bobby Hall, the flat uh, bladed sticks uh, and, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, he wasn't a big man by comparison, really, by any era. No, he's kind of small. Five, nine, one sixty one at his peak. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, you know, we, we would look at Theo Fleury and say, uh, OK, you know, he's a giant. Um, and so it's such a different game, and the way the game was played uh, was different. Um, I, again, I don't have a strong recollection, frankly, of, of hockey uh, in the 60s, uh, but it just seemed to me that you had to be good or better at many facets of the game. It wasn't specialized like it is today. You can get by with a lot of things if you've got a wicked shot um, or if you're a big six foot four, 200. 40-pound defenseman who can knock people around, uh, I think you had to be better at more things back in that era of hockey. Turning our attention to the present day, and that, that is where we'll start filing complaints here. The Pirates, of course, are 4-7 and seven since that 11-game winning streak, a 2 nothing dud last night in Denver. Uh, Stan, is this pretty much it? I mean, you look at the standings right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I, I, don't, I, won't, I won't say that as of today, but I will say it as of next week. Uh, when they return home. Uh, I think anybody reasonable expected there was going to be a cooling-off period. You don't win 11 games in a row without paying a price at the other end. The question is, how big of a price do you pay? I told people that when they won five in a row, eight in a row, 11 in a row, they'll cool down. The question is, you don't want to get to a point where you have undone all the good that you did. Uh, I don't think we're there yet. When they were four and five, I thought, okay, that's reasonable. I mean, you can't go two and seven, but now that it's seven out of 11, that's bad luck, uh, and it can't continue. Uh, the problem that they're going to have is that they're on the road. They're going against two teams that are fighting for their playoff lives. 22 of their next 24 are against teams that are very much alive and in contention, um, and it's going to be difficult to, to, to not lose ground, let alone gain it in, in that time frame. I think they're better. I love the pickup of Echeverria, uh, but I just, I just I don't think they're going to make it. But you know what? 
I said that after the 11-game winning streak. There are just too many teams involved. They're now five and a half behind the second wild card, chasing four other teams, not to mention the Braves, who have the second wild card. You know, unless they run off another you know 10-game win streak, which again, because of who they're playing, is unlikely. Um, I don't see it, uh, but I didn't see it. Uh, after the 11 well, game yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the things we've been talking about throughout this show. Really, the theme has been, you know, were the trades worth it? Is it, There seems to have been a perception that these moves were made as some kind of all-in thing. When you think about all-in, that's, that's usually rentals. You know, it's usually guys that were brought in for that year. But these guys, uh, Chris Archer, Kayon Keller, they're here for four years. Yeah, I think that is very significant uh, when the trades were made. Um, yeah, they were designed to make them better, uh, you know, for 2018. But I don't think Huntington makes the trades if they're rentals. Uh, I mean, I, I really don't. I think that he was very selective. He got air, people in areas he thought he needed help. No question about that. But they're also going to play significant roles in 2019, 20, and maybe 21 in Archer's case. I think that may have been the case with Echeverria. Now, he can become an unrestricted free agent, but... If you assume that they're going to let Jordy Mercer go and probably Josh Harrison, maybe he's a guy um, signable. It certainly would improve their interior defense. Maybe he's a guy they thought they could keep around here for 2019. So, yeah, I think, Dan, they were going to take a shot at this year. Why not? They were close to the wild card. I still think it was a long shot. But they're not going to be any worse for wear in 2019 because they added Archer and Kella. Now, the Pirates have all kinds of motivations for making these trades, not least of which is what we just discussed, baseball trades. Is, was there more to it? I mean, you know, realistically, when you look at it, they had a lot to gain in another sense, just in the perception sense, didn't they? Yeah, because they had lost almost everything because of that exact same perception sense. People felt they didn't want to win, or they didn't weren't going to do everything they possibly could uh, to win. And I think a lot of fans were saying... Um, how can you expect us to invest, forget about financially, how can you expect us to invest emotionally when you're not willing to invest uh, the same as we you want us to? I do think there was an element of that. They're aware of the perception. They're certainly aware of the precipitous attendance drop. I think that was going to happen anyway because you know they hadn't made the playoffs, but there was more to it than that. So, yeah, I think that drove it somewhat. Uh, I think they've always promised, you know, um, when it – came time they would do something i do think that there has been somewhat of a common misconception i saw a story um quoting andrew mccutcheon who said well i guess they uh, wanted to change the way they do business um that actually is not factual they added in 13 they added in 14 they added in 15 their mistake was is not maintaining after 15. That's what got people angry after 98 wins. But they now they may not have added the right people. They may not have added enough people to get where they wanted to go. But they did add. Yeah, uh, they, they added too, Stan. I, I I think that one of the things that stands out about this one is that this was the star move in baseball at the deadline. Yeah. So the the perception level of it just elevates that much further. Do you know what I mean? Including for someone like Kutch from afar, you know, because they're all watching the deadline and go, whoa, Pirates stole the show? Where was that when I was there? 
Yeah, I think that's exactly you know what he meant, but I, I think that his his memory's a little bit faulty. Again, he may not have thought they added enough, uh, or or even the right people that they did add. Although, hey, when they added Bird and when they added Morneau, I mean, those were good you know additions. Uh, you know, when they added Hap, the problem was not keeping him, but he certainly performed well while he was here. Um, but I do think you're right, and I think not only were the Pirates active, um, and I think the past was forgotten a bit there. But let's face it. Archer was probably the number one starting pitching commodity still available. And there were multiple, shall we say, higher-profile franchises who were sniffing around that the Pirates apparently had the best package to offer to get in return. I think that's what stunned people. They didn't just get a starter. They got, and I'm not saying he's Tom Seaver, but they got the best starter available at the time. Stan Saverin, of course, is my guest. Stan, uh Word out of Latrobe today that the Steelers' quarterback order Thursday night in Philadelphia will, well, first of all, Ben won't play, obviously. You're going to see Landry Jones first, and then Josh Dobbs, who's been getting a lot of reps lately, and then Mason Rudolph. And what I want to ask you about is if this will be the most watched fourth quarter in preseason <laughs> history around here in a long time. Maybe the Steelers are in concert or in cahoots with KDK. Nice. Uh, Nicely played, Mr. Saverin. <laughs> or, to be fair, the Steelers radio network, just to bring it home. We're just going to give Pomp all the credit for this, right? All right, or Charlie okay. Batch, uh, you know. Um, yeah, I, I. you know what? I kind of think that in all sports, there's kind of a pecking order. Dobbs is a veteran, not much of one, uh, but I kind of think this is a pay-on to say, okay, this is your second year here. This kid is still bringing donuts to the quarterback meetings on Saturday morning, so we'll play it that way. Um, I don't think there's any question that the best job Josh Dobbs can hope for is that he sprains a pinky and goes on scholarship if he wants to stay around here, unless there's an injury somewhere. We kind of know how this is going to play out, but I kind of think that this first game, um, and who knows, maybe they figure by that time that they want Mason Rudolph to have a comfortable outing, and by that time, uh, the people playing for the Eagles are going to be bagging groceries in two weeks, so maybe they think that that's, you know, that's a <laughs> that's better <true>. matchup. You know? <laughs> hey, no, that, I don't mean to be cruel because I admire all these guys, but you know that's no, the story. that's that's the reality that there's still no minor leagues for football. So you're either in the NFL or you're you know doing what Stan just said. Uh, what about Rudolph? Uh, how, I mean, how how much are we going to overinflate everything that he does? Because I'll tell you what, I'm going to be guilty. I, I the idea of watching a potential, and again, this isn't to put him ahead of where he actually is, but the potential, and I underscore that successor to Ben Roethlisberger. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some added there's some added juice there. Well, nobody says this when you draft a guard, right, um, right. in the third round, um, or uh, Okorafor or anything like that, although he's Okorafor is liable to get more playing time than Mason Rudolph will this season. Right, with all the absences, right. Sure, and, and you know, hey, listen, if you're down to your third-string quarterback, the chances are your season's done anyway if something happens to Ben. Uh, I, I, I'm anxious to see him play. I mean, we all saw him play against Pitt. Unfortunately for him, this won't be the Pitt secondary that he's throwing against. No. Um, and the other thing I'm looking for, I wondered, and I don't think this is going to be the case, I don't know, I wondered, Dan, if he does well enough, would they actually consider moving Landry Jones and saying, we think Rudolph is ready 
to fill in for Ben. Now, if something happens to Ben, I mean, Landry probably gets maligned too much, but he is what he is. Um, so if something were happened to Ben, their Super Bowl dreams are probably up in smoke anyway. Um, but I just wonder if they're going to decide now that we're just going to ride this out. Landry leaves at the end of this year as a free agent. We don't re-sign him. Rudolph moves up to number two. Dobbs comes off the scholarship list and is our, our number three. Um, uh, or if they thought that Rudolph did well enough in preseason, would they try to deal? Yeah, see, I, I think that's a fair thing to, to to posit here. It's funny because I think a couple of weeks ago, both of us would have probably thought we were nuts to even bring it up. But Here's Rudolph out there. He's performing really well. Just his poise is off the charts. But there's something that that caught my attention, Stan. Uh, and Kevin Colbert uh, has been doing interviews at Latrobe, and he keeps referring to Rudolph as having uh, all is already being ahead of where they expected. Hmm. Now you've dealt with Kevin enough to know he says things like that never. Okay, I mean he he doesn't like to assess. Certainly not a rookie or rookie progress. Uh, Mike Tomlin really hates to do that sort of thing. But even for Colbert to suggest it um, leads me to believe that they might be a little bit happier with him than even they had expected. Yeah, it's entirely possible, although Tomlin at the press conference said today um, he's done a really good job talking about Rudolph. He's done a really good job, comma, but he hasn't been hit yet. Uh, so, you know, they don't get hit up there. Um, he'll get hit in Philadelphia if they get to him. And if he's playing in the you know the last quarterback, you can imagine what that offensive line is going to. Uh, they <laughs> perform well, but you know you understand you know uh, who your your protection right. is. All those grocery baggers are going to be coming <laughs> after him. That's it. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be grabbing like grocery uh, grabbing cans of peas off the top shelf. Uh, so I mean, you know, they're waiting to see all that. It would be a gamble, uh, but again. Um, if something were to happen to, to Ben, you're in big trouble anyway. I'm not talking about two weeks. I'm talking about a six, eight-week thing if something should happen. Um, and, I mean, Landry has experience. Um, you know, would that be enough to keep him around? They could certainly use the cap space. And who knows? Look, there are going to be teams that are going to lose quarterbacks in the preseason. A Landry Jones, even in the last year of his contract, might be somewhat attractive. You know, it's it's not easy to bring up hockey in early August. There's not a whole lot going on. You did mention earlier you made a reference to Sidney Crosby being turning 31 years old today. And I'm, I'm curious to hear, because you've watched over the years great players, truly great players, the Lemuse, the Yagers, adjust their games once they got to a certain age level. And I'm wondering, what, what do you think Sid will look like? if you will, in the second half of his career? What can he adjust? What can he do differently? Well, it's, yeah, I think differently is the key. I don't know what he can do better. Uh, right. You know, he excels <laughs> at, at so much. Um, I, I honestly think that a lot of that is going to depend on who his line mates are. Hmm. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, we always ask, you know, um, it's gonna, there's going to come a time um, where we're going to have to change things up Ask not what Sid can do for you. Ask what you can do for Sid, to paraphrase the famous JFK line. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's going to slow down some. I don't know that he has, um, but 
That's a lot of games. He's been here, uh, you know, uh, since he's 18 years of age. Um, I think a lot's going to depend on the kind of wingers that they uh, they put him with. Uh, I, I think that a lot of his game might be better served, for example, um, to let somebody else pursue the puck. Um, and, and I think that if he plays in front of the net, you get a little bit more punishment there. But it also, I think, limits... Um, you know, the, the skating that you have to do. I don't think you're ever going to see him not back check. I mean, that's, that's the hardest skating there is. It's one thing to float up on a three on two, skating hard. It's quite another to dig deep and get back there. Right, right. Uh, he'll, he'll always give that, that kind of effort. I, I love this answer because I'm picturing as you're saying this, the, remember the Sid and the kids line? Yeah. And I remember vividly before a game in Edmonton, when I asked Sid a question about all three of those guys being fast, uh, and of course I'm referring to uh, Jake Gensel and Connor Sheary, and Sid's response was, "Man, I'm just trying to keep up." And it was the first, <laughs> it was the first time I think he acknowledged that it was actually kind of cool for him to be out there with two guys that are just buzzing, you know. Uh, no, no doubt, and I mean, I, you know, he knows that, um, and you know, he's uh, he's elevated his game where he's just good at everything, and right. you, you'll remember the stand when he first came here, he was a bad face-off guy. Oh, yeah. He was terrible. Mm-hmm. He was also, if you'll recall, a bad um, uh, shootout guy. He, he wasn't good at it. He had one move. He would just go five-hole every time. Yeah. Yep. And, and you see how he's adapted. He's such a student of the game. Um, I do think that uh, a lot of that is uh, he's going to play his game. But I do think that even though he, you know, like, for example, on the power play, uh, as long as he's together with Malkin, Malkin is better on the half wall. He's better down low. We, we you know, might see more of that when they're playing five on five. Outstanding stuff as always, Mr. Savern. Appreciate it. Thanks, DK. I'll talk to you. All right. When we come back, we're going to be joined by the guy who's been here all along. He can't really be joined by somebody if they've already been there, and that's Bob McLaughlin, our producer for our Mike with Bob segment. I'm Dan Kovacevic filling in for Mark Madden. You're listening to 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. How you doing, Mr. Madden? Big fan. Super genius. I love the show. What he likes ain't legal nowhere but Medellin. The X at 105.9. This portion of the Mark Madden show is always sponsored by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956, 84 Lumber. And this segment of the Mark Madden Show is always the Mike with Bob segment with producer Bob McLaughlin. Hi, Bob. DK, Pirates, Pirates, Pirates talk today, huh? Yeah, it has been. And, you know, that's fair. Uh, They raised their own bar. They won 11 in a row. And, of course, since then they've only won four out of the last 11 and it's it's kind of a bummer, and it kind of. <laughs> I mean, let's let's face it; it does make you wonder about the trades. Not necessarily. I mean, you know, were they justified or whatever? But why did they make them? Right. No, it's it is a bummer. That's funny. That's kind of putting it lightly. It feels like the rug has been pulled out of Pirates right fans. away. Yeah, right, right away. away. Um, you know, last week we were talking about this after the deals were done and everybody was energized and there was a buzz and people were loving it. And like you said, in the three o'clock hour, the angels were singing on high and the clouds had opened (laughs) up and the sun shone on PNC park. And I even said that there would be a sellout if the weather was okay on Friday night. And you know, that's just, Hey, remember there was a ton of enthusiasm and you know, I, I don't, follow the trends of walk-ups to the games and stadiums and stuff like that. So I don't know all about that, but I was surprised to see that the reaction was a bit muted over that. Yeah, weekend. Well, it, in, in fairness that, you know, P- 
people, the sports executives who do obsess over this stuff will tell you that uh, they had a 7,800 walk-up for on Friday, and that's extraordinary. Uh, that is like way above and beyond. But when you have a small season ticket base, how many times have you heard me say this, filling yeah. in for Mark or seen me write it, when you have a small season ticket base, you're starting from such a lower point and that nothing really changes that number over the course no, of that's the right. year. It and just doesn't. And that small season ticket base is their own doing. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I, I think that that's why you had the reaction that you had last week. It was just a, uh, you know, wow. Yeah, they did. They did what? Yeah. And then, you know, wow. I mean, I'm going to support them. Now. And, I mean, there was so much buzz. What do you think was their motivation? Oh, I think, uh, you know, obviously, anyone who says, and I've seen this from different GMs and different stories and in the baseball world, that said anybody who doesn't think that there was an angle of fan appeasement, mm -hmm. there was. Yeah. Don't think that it was just a baseball move. The, the way that they had kind of backed themselves into this corner, into this predicament, and that's, that's a fair word to use, the way that you know their, their TV ratings have been strong. The reaction on media, social media, you know, on your site, stuff like that for the longest mm -hmm. time. And I heard you talk about it. Like, look, we're writing pirate stories out the wazoo. People are too pissed right now to, to care. Yep. They had to turn that around. It looked like they had did that. And maybe they bought themselves some time. But boy, like we talked about at the beginning of the segment, pulling the, the rug out from under the fans' feet and losing right now, it kind of mooted all of that. So some of it was for fan appeasement and... and Look, they were good baseball deals, but I agree with you. It was because they have them under contract for quite a while. Yeah, I think they, that, that's got the, them. That's the big thing, Bob. Is that, is that these guys? Everyone's talking about all in, but the fact is, is that both Chris Archer and Kayon Kella are under team control for four years. They're not going anywhere. These were not rentals. This was not Marlon Bird showing up for a couple of months. But yeah. how about the reaction in the three o'clock hour to the phrase "all in"? I know. You had it right. I mean, I know. that was like they parted. We're going to do that Yeah. after this break. We are. Either, people either agreed with it wholeheartedly, like they said, oh, yeah, all in. I yeah. thought that was great. And other people were like, no, nah, no, nah, we're going to do that again. We're going to play a little bit of a game here after this, after this uh, short break that we have and see what people think about the concept of whether or not the Pirates went all in. And if they, if they did, if they liked the trades, what do they think was the Pirates' real motivation? I, I think... I have what is like a definitive correct answer, but you know, it like anything else, it's just an opinion, but it happens to be mine. We're going to see what yours is right after this break. Filling in for Mark Madden, I'm Dayan Kovacevic. You're listening to 105.9 The X.